Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled When Triple Therapy Isn't Enough, targeting eosinophilic pathways with biologics in chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an independent medical education grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated and Sanofi. Hello, my name is Nick Hanani. I'm professor of medicine and director of the Airway Clinical Research Center at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Well, let's first start to discuss some of the unmet needs in the goals of therapy for COPD. We know that uh, goals of therapy are nicely outlined by gold strategy, but also other guidelines for COPD. We want to improve symptoms, we improve lung function, quality of life, exercise tolerance, but importantly, we also want to reduce exacerbation, hospital admission. We ultimately want to reduce mortality, a big problem in this disease. And when it comes to therapy, we want to achieve these goals, but also achieve them with the least adverse events. So are we achieving these goals? We can achieve with current therapy most of these goals, but not all of them. So one of the biggest goals of therapy is reduction of exacerbations. And exacerbations continue to afflict many patients with COPD. And exacerbations not only affect the patients, but the healthcare system. It's not just the acute phase of exacerbation, but there is an effect of exacerbation on lung function decline, on repeated exacerbation, and the quality of life of the patients. There's a definite need for reducing exacerbation because exacerbations tend to cluster. One patient with exacerbation is at high risk of repeated exacerbation. For example, somebody who's admitted to the hospital with severe exacerbation is at highest risk of coming back within 30 days, but also high risk of mortality. So that is one of the big unmet needs in this uh, disease is to reduce it. We have therapies currently. We have long-acting bronchodilators, either standalone or in combination. We have triple therapies which have been shown to reduce exacerbation in a majority of patients with exacerbation, but not all. So there is an unmet need for other therapies uh, and new therapies. Why? Because patients continue to have symptoms continue to have exacerbation despite adequate or optimal therapy that we have currently. So there are several other unmet needs. Obviously, patients' compliance with medication, use of inhaler device is a big issue. Current therapies have not been designed to reduce or affect the natural history of the disease, which is something very important. Now that we are understanding the mechanisms of the disease, can we achieve this by newer therapies, including biologics? So in the next session, we are going to be discussing how to identify patients at high risk of exacerbation and thus maybe identify this unmet need in that population. So let's review who is at risk of exacerbation. First, let's, let's recap how can we classify patients with COPD based on symptoms and exacerbation risk. The gold strategy suggests that we classify these patients after we 
confirm the diagnosis by using lung function and stage the disease by looking at the different segments of lung function. We classify them based on symptoms, exacerbation risk into three groups, A, B, and E. A are those patients who have minimal symptoms, no risk of exacerbation. B are those with high symptom burden, but no risk of exacerbation by risk, meaning two or more exacerbations requiring antibiotic or steroids or one hospital admission. But E is the category that is the group that we're gonna be discussing more today risk of exacerbation. So any patients with two or more exacerbation in the preceding year or one exacerbation requiring hospital admission is classified as E. Who are these patients? How can we, in our clinics, identify these patients and label them as at high risk of exacerbation? Well, there's been several studies that have looked at this. One of the very important predictor of subsequent exacerbation, as I mentioned earlier, are those patients with history of exacerbation particularly those with hospitalization from exacerbation. Of course, other factors like old age, severity of the disease, poor quality of life, chronic cough and sputum, chronic bronchitis is, puts the patient at high risk of exacerbation, and also presence of GERD. Other things like bacterial colonization uh, have been also looked at. But there are certain biomarkers that can help us also identify patients at risk of exacerbation. There are not too many that we know of, but one of them is blood eosinophils. Blood eosinophils are very important biomarkers that have been linked to, one, predicting exacerbation or prognostically classifying patients at risk. For example, if 300 cells per cubic liter of blood eosinophil repeatedly predicts patients at risk of exacerbation. But blood eosinophils also may be predictor of response to certain therapies, particularly, for example, inhaled corticosteroids. That is in chronic COPD, but during acute exacerbation, people have looked at also blood eosinophil as predictor of response to certain treatment like oral corticosteroids. Do we have other biomarkers? Well, probably there will be emerging biomarkers like fractional exhaled nitric oxide uh, may be a good predictor. However, more studies are needed to identify these biomarkers in the future. So in the next segment, we are going to be talking about how do we classify exacerbation? How do we define exacerbation? And are there several uh, levels of severity when it comes to exacerbation? So let's talk more about exacerbation. And the definition is worsening symptoms beyond day-to-day -day variability requiring treatment. However, there is a new definition suggesting that this may be refined so that the change in symptoms uh, within 14 days that uh, require treatment change. We know that exacerbations are heterogeneous. Majority of the time it's an infection, so viruses can trigger exacerbation, pollution and other exposures, treatment uh, non-compliance, and other things. But we also now know that there are multiple phenotypes of exacerbations. The frequency, some patients have higher risk of uh, repeated exacerbations, others have uh, less. Severity of exacerbation may be different, the symptoms, the presentation. But more importantly is what drives the exacerbation. This is something that we are now starting to look at because we want to address these issues with therapies. Uh, what drives the exacerbation could be different inflammatory profile of the patients.
For many years, we thought that exacerbation is driven by increased airway inflammation, and airway inflammation is the same thing. But we know now there are different types of airway inflammation, both in the management of chronic COPD, but also during exacerbation. T2 inflammation, which is driven usually by eosinophils, and there are several biomarkers, eosinophils, phenol may, may reflect this type of inflammation. Many patients have T1 inflammation, or what we call T1, T3, driven by neutrophils, and it's often these are exacerbation driven by viral infections. And then th there is a T17 inflammation, which is driven usually by also neutrophils. Sometimes very hard to tease this out between T1 and T17, sometimes called T3 inflammation. So how do we classify acute COPD exacerbation? In the previous discussions, we talked about moderate and severe exacerbation as moderate exacerbation requiring oral steroid antibiotic for treatment. Severe exacerbations are those who require hospital admission. A more refined classification was suggested recently by Gold and others, suggesting using more objective parameters to subdivide this into mild, moderate, severe, based on looking at parameters like heart rate, respiratory rate, but also parameters of oxygenation, carbon dioxide levels, and also symptoms, and also even uh, biomarkers like CRP, C-reactive protein, which is a nonspecific systemic inflammatory biomarker. Keep in mind that exacerbations can also be mimicked by other comorbid issues like heart failure exacerbation can sometimes present like COPD exacerbation. Pume embolism is another big issue. So there is a differential diagnosis one has to rule out in these patients with COPD when they come in with worsening symptoms suggestive of COPD exacerbation. You really want to check off other things that may mimic exacerbations. So in the next session, what we're going to talk about is what do we know about these pathways in the pathogenesis of COPD in general, and why is it important to identify this, this subtype of patients with COPD? So let us review the different mechanism of uh, inflammation in patients with COPD. And we talk about the different types, like type 1, type 3, and then type 2 inflammation. And why is it important for us to revisit this uh, in the era of precision medicine, where we would like to phenotype patients with COPD, but not only that, but also know about their endotype. We know that currently the approach for COPD has been a, a one-size-fits-all approach, an umbrella approach, symptomatic management mainly. But now that we understand many pathways of the disease, particularly the inflammatory pathways, there are tools that we can use, including uh, biomarkers, including biologic, but also radiologic biomarkers that can help us identify the subtypes of COPD and therefore go for precision medicine, a more personalized approach for this disease. When it comes to airway inflammation in COPD, what we know, it is triggered by several triggers, including, of course, cigarette smoke, a major trigger, but other exposures, infections, but other pollutants may trigger this inflammatory cascade in COPD. And in this disease, inflammation is not a homogenous type of inflammation. For many years, we knew COPD tends to be associated with neutrophilic inflammation, what we call T1, T, T3 inflammation, driven by certain cells like TH17 uh, and, and the release of uh, certain cytokines like interleukin-8, TNF-alpha, driving uh, neutrophilic inflammation. Well, that's well and good. In about 70% of patients with COPD, the inflammatory cascade is neutrophilic inflammation. But there is an important 
subtype of inflammation called the T2 inflammation that is driven by other cells and other cytokines, including the adaptive immune system, but the innate immune system participate in this. And in this type of inflammation, it is characterized by eosinophilia in the airway and in the blood, but also several cytokines that drive this uh, include interleukin-4, interleukin-5, interleukin-13, and then peripherally, uh, as I mentioned, blood eosinophils may be high, but also if you look at the airway, there is increased number of sputum eosinophils in this type of population, as opposed to patients with type 1, type 3 inflammation where neutrophils uh, uh, play a role. Why is that important? Because knowing the type of inflammation that's ongoing may allow us to choose appropriate therapy for targeting uh, these patients and therefore shy away from this one-size-fits-all approach that we have been taking. In the next session, we are going to be discussing or taking a look at the mechanism of different emerging biologics to target this type 2 inflammation in COPD and what's in the horizon. So now that we have discussed the different types of inflammation that may occur in COPD, let's review what's in the horizon regarding biologic therapies starting in COPD. Knowing the fact right now we don't have any of these marketed for use, at least at this point, in COPD. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There are multiple biologic being looked at uh, that target type 2 inflammation in COPD. Uh, one of the group of biologics that have been studied extensively are those that target blood eosinophils or targeting eosinophilic inflammation. We know that interleukin-5 uh, is an important cytokine in COPD, and it's been looked at now by targeting it through drugs like uh, mepolizumab and benralizumab that are now in phase three trials to look at whether we can help these patients with eosinophilic COPD. Another drug that is now progressed to phase three and some emerging very promising data is dupilumab. Dupilumab targets interleukin-4 receptor, which is a common receptor for IL-13 and IL-4. And it has been shown in, at least in other diseases like asthma, it has significant effect on eosinophilic phenotype of this disease. Another group of biologics that are being studied in this type of inflammation are those that target epithelial cytokines. These are called alarmants, particularly one of them is interleukin-33, the other one is thymic stromal lymphopoietin or TSLP. A majority of these drugs now are being targeted by new therapies, uh, biologics, uh, including astigulumab, which target the receptor for IL-33, but other uh, biologics targeting the IL-33 itself, like itipicumab and others. And then for anti-TSLP, tesipilumab is being studied in phase two trial in this disease. So in conclusion, um, I hope I was able to shed light on the unmet needs in therapies that we have right now in patients with COPD. And why is it that we want to look at future therapies that target the disease mechanism, particularly what we have learned about, including type 2 inflammation. I also hope that I shed light on identifying patients at risk of exacerbation. These are the patients where there is a big unmet need for new therapies. As you saw, we have several novel targets uh, in the pipeline. Uh, some of them are in phase three trials uh, that hold promise in uh, therapy in, in such high-risk individuals. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for listening. 
please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.